Please turn with me in your Bibles to our text this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Mark. As we continue our study in Mark's Gospel, we'll be looking at chapter 10 this morning, considering verses 13 to 16. So Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. Brothers and sisters, hear with me then. The reading of God's Word. And they were bringing children to Him that He might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to Me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Thus far is the reading of God's Word. Well, how does one enter the kingdom of God? How does one enter the kingdom of God? And I ask this, because much of our attention and focus this morning is going to be on addressing that question. Because this is the point of the text, which oftentimes is is blurred or obscured. Because this text, and in particular, verse 14, and Jesus' statement, Let the little children come to Me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Oftentimes is used, isn't it? By our good and well-meaning Presbyterian brothers in Christ. Right to to argue for the validity of infant baptism. Right, many of their commentaries do this on this topic. If you listen to their sermons on this text, they likewise do that. They try to make a case for the validity of infant baptism based on this text here. And so I think it's important to be begin by addressing that and saying to you all here that in no way, shape, or form does this text support infant baptism nor is this text even addressing infant baptism. Right? Neither is this text addressing the, the covenantal status of, of children of believing parents. This text is not addressing the covenant privileges of young children whose parents are believers. Neither is this text addressing whether the children of believers all go to heaven if they die. Right? These are all worthy topics that can be addressed. But only when the text permits, and our text today has nothing to do with those things, okay? Yes, the text speaks of children, doesn't it? As we will see, it even speaks of infants. But in this passage, they are used as emblems. They are used as symbols for a spiritual reality that Christ is trying to convey and teach. Today, in fact, is the third time in the last five weeks that Jesus has done this. And so it shouldn't come as a surprise to us in this text today. If you remember back to to Mark chapter 8, verse 37, right after the apostles finished their argument or who's the greatest, what does Jesus say to them? He says, if you want to be first, you must be last of all and servant of all. And then he says, after taking a child into his arms, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. 
And whoever receives me, receives me not, but the one who sent me. And here we see what Jesus was saying after calling them to, to be last and to serve all, is that they were to, to serve and lend aid to all Christians who needed help. Right? Especially those lowly, humble, weak believers in the faith. And this is supported by, by Matthew 25. If you, if you remember at the, at the judgment, right? Jesus says to, to those that right, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me drink. And there will be some who will say, Lord, when did we see you and not give you food? And when did we see you and not give you drink? And what does Jesus say? To, when you did not do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Right? When you did not do it to the least, right? to, the, to the weakest, to the, to the lowliest, right? And so what Jesus is saying is he's encouraging them right, to, to be of help to all believers, but especially those who are looked at as smallest in the kingdom, those who are the, the smallest in the eyes of others. And when we receive them, it is like we are receiving Christ as well. The second time Jesus says something that can be taken as addressing children comes from uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 42. If you remember in this text, what does Jesus say? Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a, a millstone tied around his neck and he were to be thrown into the sea. Now here, though, it's important to point out that he says what? The little ones are those who believe in him. Right? So we know that he's not addressing infants. Right? These little ones believe in him. And what did we say this was? This was a warning that Jesus is giving towards those who have sway and authority. Right? He's, he's warning them, do not influence the, your weaker brothers and sisters in the faith to sin, because if you do, it will not go unpunished. And so our text today, brothers and sisters, is no different. He's using the, the children who are in their presence to teach a truth. And that truth is who belongs to the kingdom and how do you enter the kingdom. Now that question itself, how does one enter the kingdom, opens up a whole other can of worms, does it not? Right? There are people who would call themselves Christians today who say, well, you enter the kingdom through faith in Christ, but also through doing good works. Right? So you, you believe in Jesus, you do your part, and you are able to receive the kingdom. There are others out there who say, well, you have to do good works and you just have to believe in any God. There are people who say, no matter what religion you belong to, you ultimately are all worshiping the same God anyway. So as long as you do your part, you worship your God well, you'll be in the kingdom of God. There are others who say, well, you have to reach a, a certain age of accountability before you can enter the kingdom of God. Right? You, have to, you have to be able to understand all these different doctrines before you're ready to receive the kingdom of God. And so it's with this in mind, though, that we're going to then dive into our text this morning. We're going to ask, what does Jesus have to say about this matter? Right? What is Jesus' teaching about who it is who enters into the kingdom of God? And so, we're going to do this in just two points this morning. In just two points. I know customarily I have three points, so if you were all week expecting and just yearning for three points, and I only have two, I apologize. Okay? But the, the two points this morning are going to be this. First is kingdom importance. Kingdom importance. And point two then is going to be kingdom entrance. Kingdom entrance. And so point one, kingdom importance. What I'm going to ask you to do um, is we're going to briefly and quickly turn to the, both parallel accounts of this text. And we can do so because it's, it's really quick. So if you could first turn with me to Mark 
chapter 19, and we're going to look at verses 13 to 15. So Mark 19, verses 13 to 15. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 to 15. I apologize. We would be here all day looking for Mark 19, wouldn't we? Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 to 15. We read this. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Okay? Now turn with me, if you would, to Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 18 and verses 15 to 17. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. Let's hear what Luke has to say here. He begins in verse 15 saying this, Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Okay, let's turn back now to our Gospel of Mark here. Chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. Now, in our own text, what is the first thing that we are told? We're told they were bringing children. They were bringing children. Now, we have to ask, who is the they? Who are they that are bringing these children? Well, the masculine gender of the pronoun is used here, which tells us, that it was fathers who were bringing their children. We can assume mothers were with them, but especially fathers were bringing their children to Jesus so that He might touch them. And Matthew fills in this picture even a little more because Matthew says, remember in 19 verse 13, that they brought Him so that He might lay hands on them and pray for them. And then it was in Luke's parallel account in chapter 18 verse 15 that we're told that not only were the fathers bringing children, but they were bringing infants as well. Right? And so that, that sets the scene for us this morning. Right? Parents, especially fathers, are bringing children, which included infants, to Jesus so that He might lay hands on them and pray. Now, we aren't told if any of these parents were believers, are we? We aren't told if any of the children have professed Christ and were believers. We're not even told in our text really what they think about Jesus. It's quite possible that they could have thought Jesus was just a holy man, a a rabbi. That He was, like many people thought, a a miracle worker. And so, in thinking this, they bring Jesus, their children, in order that He might bless them. And bringing children to Jesus, especially if they believed Him to be a rabbi, is not something uncommon. People would bring their children to a rabbi to be blessed. And so it's not an uncommon thing for them to believe Jesus to be a rabbi, a good teacher, and to bring their children to him so that he might bless them. But at the end of the day, we just can't be sure because we're not told what they thought about Jesus. But we have to see, though, that these parents who probably don't understand who Jesus is, they probably don't believe him to be the Messiah. And even if they do, they don't have the full revelation that we have today. 
And yet, they thought enough about Jesus to bring their children to Him, understanding how important it is for God to bless their children. And as I read this, I immediately thought about right how many Christian parents today there are out there who claim to know exactly who Jesus is. Truly man, truly God, the only way to salvation. And yet spend little to no time bringing their children to Christ. They spend little to no time desiring God's blessings upon their children. This ought to be a reproof to us all who have children. right? Christian parents today care so much about our children's temporal blessings, don't we? Right? We care about uh, that they make it to all their sports. We care that they make it to all their birthday parties and, and hang out with friends and make all their activities. Right? We, we care about all these things and yet we care far less about their spiritual blessings, right? right? How many parents here are, are devoted to praying for their children's salvation and sanctification? How many parents here today are devoted to, to godly instruction and education in the home? It was Paul who said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, right, parents are told to teach our children diligently. You shall talk to them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Brothers and sisters, this doesn't sound like something that you just do maybe just on Sunday. This is something that we are to be doing every day, continually throughout the day. And so who among us here can say that we are constantly talking spiritual things with our children in our homes daily? Right, so that they might receive those spiritual blessings because we're concerned about their spiritual well-being. Right? Instead, we, we so often are so concerned about other frivolous and unimportant matters, right? How many of us, especially fathers, right, take the time to have family worship in our homes, instructing our children in the way that they should go? how you answer these questions, right? How much time you dedicate to family worship, how much time you dedicate to praying for your kids and godly instruction. This ought to be a barometer for you and how much you truly care about your children's spiritual well-being. Right? All of us need to see the importance of bringing our kids to Christ. Even those who are already believers, bringing them to Christ. So that when they leave the home, they understand how important it is to constantly be bringing themselves before Christ. So that we all see the importance of entering the kingdom. How important it is because without it, no matter how successful your children are, no matter how many earthly benefits and privileges they may enjoy, it will help them not when the judgment comes. I know we as parents, speak for myself as well, can be really busy. Right? Our schedules are full. But it is your responsibility as parents to labor, to know the Lord yourself, and then to labor to bring your children before Christ. That is your responsibility. That means praying for them. That means bringing them to church on Sunday. Right? That means coming to church 
If you're able to, whenever the church doors are opened, that means spending time daily talking to your children about spiritual things, about worshiping with your children, answering their questions, being there for them. Now, as these parents bring their children to Christ, what are we told is the, is the response of the apostles? They deny them. They deny them. Right? They turn them away. And they don't even do so gently. We're told they rebuked them. Or we can only imagine what they, what they were saying, right? The Lord doesn't have time for you. This is an unimportant matter. Get out of here. He's, he's dealing with far bigger issues than what you're asking Him for. Now at this time in history, it's important to understand that children have absolutely no standing in society. They have no standing. And so we see the, the, the apostles just shoo them away as unimportant and as unworthy of Christ's time. And don't we ourselves as parents oftentimes do this to our own children? Right? We're, we're busy in something we feel is important and they, they come to ask us a question. We, we shoo them away. Right now is not, not a good time. Don't ask me this now. I'm too busy. But how does Jesus respond once he catches wind of what's going on? Right? We're told he becomes indignant. Right? He's just not a little angry. He's not a little upset. This word means incensed. He is incensed by what they are doing. He is infuriated by their response because they are preventing something good from happening. Which is why he says in verse 14, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Jesus knew the importance of the kingdom. And that the only way to the kingdom was through Him. And so the apostles were doing something wrong. Not only wrong, but sinful and evil because they were depriving people of coming to Christ who is the only way to salvation. And in this encounter, what we also see is that although our our own children can be a burden to us sometimes, and especially maybe other people's children can be a burden to us sometimes, children are never a burden to the Lord, are they? Jesus is ready to receive all people, right? both rich and poor, right? old and young, strong and weak. And what this ought to teach every single one of us is that we should never withhold coming before the Lord in prayer, no matter what our requests might be. Right? I'm sure many times you hear Christians say, well, I'm not going to ask for this. It's, it's unimportant. The Lord is, is too busy. He's dealing with matters far too great than what I'm going to ask for. We don't have to think like that. right? What does Paul say in Ephesians 6.18? He says that we are to pray at all times or, on, or for every occasion. Right? No matter the degree, the degree of importance that you put on your prayer, Jesus desires that we come to Him on every occasion for everything that we have in our hearts to pour out to Him. He is always ready. He is always willing to listen. And He is always wanting to answer. And so we must keep this in mind, brothers and sisters. Do not shy away from prayer. Jesus isn't like us. He's, he's not overcome by all the prayer requests, right? He's able to answer, and He wants to answer. So let us not withhold any, any prayers that we have. Yet in this encounter and by Jesus' reaction, what we also learn is that not only as parents do we have a responsibility to bring our children to Christ, but it's also a great sin to hinder them from coming to Christ. 
Right? So, not only are we to be bringing them to Christ, we aren't to be hindering them from coming to Christ. And yet, how often Christian parents do this very thing? Right? They, they teach their children to lie by their own example. Right? They, they teach their children to curse by their filthy language in the home. They teach them to, to break the Sabbath by skipping service. They teach them to hate their neighbor by how they, they treat others. Right? Husbands and wives teach their children how to disrespect one another by a, a husband being rude to wife, wife being rude to husband. Right? Parents oftentimes teach their children to, to love the world and the things of the world more than they love Jesus Christ, right? By their example and the pattern of their life and what they spend all of their time doing. And so in this way, as Christian parents, we are no better than what the apostles are doing here in hindering these children the opportunity to see Christ. When we ought to, brothers and sisters, have the, have the mind of Christ, right? Which means that we are indignant by sin, right? We are incensed by sin, especially those that would hurt the, the well-being of our children. Right? And so what we ought to be doing is seeking earnestly the strength of the Lord so that He would help us to never, ever become a roadblock to our children meeting Christ. What we also see from Jesus' response in this encounter is not only how we are to feel for our own children, but how we are to feel for all of the lost. Right? We, have, we, are, we are to have a, a heart for the lost. Understanding the importance for not just our own children, but all children and all people to enter the kingdom of God. Right? We ought to feel for our neighbors as Paul felt for his neighbors, right? What does Paul say in Romans 9, verses 2 and 3? I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. This doesn't mean that we all have to run out on the street corners or go knocking door to door sharing the gospel. If you are able to do that, that's commendable. But we all should be doing something, right? What does Paul say? My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they can be saved. What we all can be doing if you care about the lost and them receiving the kingdom is praying for the lost. Right? That is something we all ought to be doing daily. Likewise, we can be demonstrating the power of the gospel in our own lives by living consistently with our profession of faith each day. Whether that's at work before, before unbelievers. Right? Whether that's at home before unsaved family members and friends. No matter where it is, whether it's at the doctor's office or at the restaurant, we also must never let uh, opportunities slip away to, to, to give a defense for the hope that is within us, should we? Right? We always have to be, be ready to, to proclaim the gospel. Someone asks us, what is it that you believe? Why is it that you believe in Christ? We must never shy away from that. That is our duty as, as Christians, to be able to testify to the goodness of God and the gospel message. But this will not happen, brothers and sisters, until we understand the importance of the kingdom of God. And not just for ourselves, but for all people. We ought to desire it not just for ourselves, but for all. This takes us then to point number two. 
which is kingdom entrance. Kingdom entrance. Now Jesus says, Don't hinder the children from coming to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it. Now a matter of first importance for us here today then is to identify what is this kingdom of God that Jesus is talking about, right? We need to know what this kingdom of God is. Now, Mark calls it the, the kingdom of God. If you remember just a little bit ago when we read in Matthew's gospel, he calls it the kingdom of heaven. They're synonymous. They're the same thing. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. But the fact that they are called a kingdom signifies that there is a king, right? It also tells us that there are those who are subject to the king. Now, the kingdom can be distinguished in two ways. There is the universal kingdom and there is a special kingdom. Or we might say there is a a common kingdom and a spiritual kingdom. Now, the universal kingdom is God's rule over all things. Right? This is angels, demons, good, evil, all things, heaven and earth. This is what was described for us in our call to worship this morning. Psalm 103, verse 19. Right? When David says the the Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. He's talking about the universal kingdom. In God's special or His spiritual kingdom, we might break it down into two further branches as the Puritan Thomas Manton does between the, the kingdom of grace and the kingdom of glory. Okay? Now the kingdom of grace is what Jesus refers to in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. We're told this, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, there it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Okay, That is the kingdom of grace that Jesus is talking about. And this kingdom of grace can be manifested in two ways, both externally and internally. Okay, the external comes from what we might call the the means of grace. That is how the kingdom of God is externally seen. And this is what Jesus says the Israelites have been removed from in Matthew 21, verse 43. He says, Therefore I tell you, the, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people producing its fruit. Right? That the external means of grace are taken from the Israelites and now given to the Gentiles. Internally, this kingdom of grace is the, is the grace of God which now rules in the hearts of believers and enables us to submit to Jesus as King. This is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. He says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now the kingdom of glory is what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. If you remember, he says, you know, it, he, it's greater, or he would prefer to, to depart and to be with the Lord, right? He would depart and be with the Lord in his kingdom of glory. Now, these two branches, kingdom of glory, kingdom of grace, we are not to understand them as two separate kingdoms. They are one kingdom. They only vary by degree. All right? The, if you remember, we've, we've talked about this on multiple occasions, but the, the eschatological kingdom has, has broken into human history with the coming of Christ. 
And so that means the eschatological blessings and privileges come along with it. And yet now we only experience them in part. Right? We will not experience them in their totality until the consummation of all things. This is that already not yet right? that we have to understand that's going on today. The already not yet. Right? We, the kingdom is here already in the sense that we experience today some of those heavenly benefits like joy and peace. And yet, right, the kingdom in a sense has not come yet fully because we have not experienced joy and peace in their fullness as we will at the consummation, right? So that is already and not yet. And so it's really this kingdom of grace that Jesus calls all people to by the external call of the gospel and the internal call of the Holy Spirit, which draws men to himself. This is the kingdom that Jesus is talking about in our text today. The kingdom of grace, okay? He's not talking about the the universal kingdom. This is what Jesus came proclaiming since his inauguration of his ministry. If you remember Mark chapter 1 verse 15, the time is fulfilled, Jesus says. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What is Jesus saying? The kingdom is here now. Right? Receive this kingdom of grace through believing in the gospel. And how then does this help us to understand what Jesus is saying? and how it fits with his references to children. Okay, This is important to understand. So we have to first identify a couple key words that Jesus uses that's going to help us to really understand this text. Okay, So the first is that Jesus says in verse 14, when speaking of children, he says, For to such belongs the kingdom of God. For to such. He doesn't say, to these, right? He doesn't say to these children belong the kingdom of God. He says, for to such. And I think verse 15 actually explains this verse for us and makes it more clear when Jesus says then, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like, like a child shall not enter it. You see, Jesus is teaching the apostles who it is the kingdom belongs to and how they enter it using children as symbols for the message he's trying to convey. And that fact, I think, is underscored by those two phrases, for to such and like. Right? He's not saying, these children literally before me are to receive the kingdom and belong to the kingdom. He's not saying, all children belong to the kingdom, is he? No, he's not speaking literally. He's using them as, as symbols and emblems to teach us something. And so we have to ask then ourselves, why does Jesus use children? Right? What is it about children that make them the right symbol to convey his message? Well, we have to ask, how is it that children receive something? How is it that children receive something? This is important because Jesus says, whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it. Well, this is why we have to now remember what we just said a little while ago. right? Children have absolutely no standing in society. Which means what? They have nothing to offer. Which means what? That if they are to receive anything from anyone, it is only received as a gift. This is Jesus' point in our text. 
This is why he uses children to convey his message of the kingdom. He is saying that the kingdom of God is a gift given by grace and cannot be earned. You must receive it like a child receives a gift. Many times I think even good Baptist pastors misinterpret this text. They look at a, at a verse like, uh, like verse 14 where Jesus says, you know, let the, uh, let the children come to me for to such belongs the kingdom of God. And what so often happens is then they start making a, a list, right, of all the, the qualities children have that we must possess before we enter the kingdom of God. But brothers and sisters, we must understand this, that qualities do not qualify us for God's kingdom. Jesus doesn't wait until we all possess a certain amount of qualities before we receive the kingdom, before He bestows His kingdom upon us. Right? It's Paul who says in Colossians 1, chapter 12-14, to we are to give thanks for the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, brothers and sisters, Jesus is saying it's all of grace. It's all a gift. It is to simply be received by you in faith by faith in Christ. That is it. That is how you receive the kingdom. Right, The apostles were turning the gospel of the kingdom into a message about qualifying. Right, They were denying these people opportunity to see Christ because they said, you don't qualify as important enough yet. But Jesus says, you cannot earn the kingdom. The kingdom is a gift given by God. Man is simply the recipient. And in using the, the symbol of children, what I want us to see is something truly remarkable and significant that we all need to take away with us. Because as adults, how do we, how do we oftentimes think about salvation? We oftentimes think of it as, you know, you, you have to be really smart. You have to know these certain key doctrines before you can enter the kingdom of God, right? right? Many times we think like that, or, or you have to have these certain qualities before you're able to enter the kingdom of God. Or you, you have to be a certain age to have a, be able to have a certain knowledge before you can enter the kingdom of God. But listen to what the, the great Lutheran theologian Richard Lenski says in his commentary on Mark's Gospel that's truly profound. He says, So many think that a child is to receive the kingdom as an adult does. But absolutely the reverse is true. The child is the model and not the man. Wow, that's, that's significant. Right, Jesus is saying, if you desire salvation, if you desire the blessings of salvation, then like a child, you must recognize your utter helplessness. You have no right, you have no claim to the kingdom. Right? We bring nothing to Christ. We only come with empty hands, ready to receive it all from Jesus. Right? It is He who bestows the kingdom upon whomever He pleases. And all we do is receive it as a gift by faith in Christ. I mean, just think about it. Right? It's, it's the grace, God's grace of repentance that causes us right, to, to turn from sin and towards Christ. Right? It is 
God's grace of effectual calling that draws us to Christ and enlightens man's inner man. Right? It is the grace of justification where we have the forgiveness of sin and righteousness which comes through faith in Christ. It is through the grace of sanctification that our old man is put to death, right? And sin is mortified. It is through the bestowing and receiving the bestowing of these blessings from Christ that we then enter into the kingdom of God. And so, what this also teaches us, though, brothers and sisters, is that none of us start life, none of us begin life in the kingdom. Right? We all begin life outside of the kingdom. We need to gain access This is why Christ has come. This is why Christ has come. He brought the kingdom present in its grace and its power to be received by faith in Christ. This is why the proclamation of the gospel is so vitally important. This is why the Reformed call it the primary means of grace. Because it's through the proclamation of the gospel that we receive the kingdom of grace. And it's through the proclamation of the gospel that we are being fitted and prepared for the kingdom of glory. It is through the proclamation of the word that Satan is cast out and driven from our hearts. And it is through the proclamation of the word that Christ then sets himself up in that place in our hearts to rule and reign over us as our heavenly king. This is the grace offered to you today in the preaching of the Word. And so I ask, will you receive it as a child? By faith, if you have not. And if you have, will you still receive the message as a child so that it might strengthen you and it might furnish you with all of the blessings that you need right? That as He prepares you for eternal glory? Now our text then closes in verse 16. As Jesus, we're told, takes the children in his arms and he blessed them by laying his hands on them. Now we aren't told exactly what the, what the blessing is. We can hypothesize what, what it might be. Perhaps he's asking the Father to, if it's his will to, you know, to save the children. Perhaps he's blessing them with, with some sort of temporal prosperity. We're not told. But the action of, of taking these children into his arms demonstrates though to us the tenderness of our Lord, does it not? And it's this tenderness and this, and this affection of taking these children into His arms that our Lord does for each and every one of you who believe today. It is this tenderness and this affection that He shows us all just as a father takes His children into His arms. Right? Our Lord has taken us into His arms where now He provides for us, He protects us, and He loves us. And so let us, in response to this amazing grace, commit ourselves to walking in a manner worthy of that kingdom that we, through the favor of God in Christ Jesus, do now belong. Please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for Your Word. How it brings us such joy and gladness and happiness and peace. We are so thankful, Father, that we don't need to qualify ourselves to receive the kingdom, but rather you qualify us. It is you who bestow upon the kingdom to those whom you choose as a gift in Christ Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would implant this truth upon our hearts and press it upon our minds. Uh, cause us to now walk in a manner worthy of that kingdom throughout the week. 
that we might be a, a beacon of light to the, the unchurched and unsaved world. Father, that we might um, have opportunity to profess truth such as these to the world. And so, Father, we come before you this morning asking all these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.